You're listening to Listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yeh. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here for another mid month check in episode, bringing you the latest Asian American book and publishing news uh, for September 2021. Uh, we are recording today on a It's a New Era. We just survived an election. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that happened. And as a result, things are just the way they were before. <laughs> No, not just the way they were before, because now we are $300 million in deficit because <laughs> of the stupid recall, and all of that money could have been allocated into other things that we could have used, like housing and protecting people from eviction and providing aid for student loans it's, and all that crap. <laughs> it's such a microcosm of like the American liberal i guess experience which is like we fight so hard to win the status quo yeah it's the story of you know of not being republican (laughs) (laughs) i like it's been pretty terrible uh recently with just maintaining the status quo as you said i mean with what happened in texas with their abortion uh bill and yeah, it's just it's just been a hot mess and yeah, this recall is something that we we needed. Like it's it's a win, but it really doesn't feel like a win. <laughs> it's a fear theory. I don't Also I watch- like completely forgot about it too cuz like as soon as my ballot came in, I just like <laughs> I just did it cuz like if you look at the candidates, I was like none of these candidates are even remotely acceptable. Like party party aside it's just like in in terms of like experience and like just attitude i was like this is this like why would you vote for any of these people you know you would think that and you know as a canadian i was on the sidelines so i couldn't really do anything besides tell my friends to go vote but um i do remember the last time this happened i was in college and we ended up with um the governator and as a result, to this day, on my university diploma, I have Arnold Schwarzenegger's autograph as my governor. Anyways, we're not here to talk about California politics. We're here to talk about the book news of the of the last few weeks. And yeah, let's get to it. Uh, Rira, what's our first publishing news? All right. In a six-figure preempt, Delacorte acquired Midnight Strikes by Zeba Shanaz. This YA fantasy debut with a Russian doll-inspired twist follows low-born Anais, whose attendance at the royal ball is disrupted by an explosion that rips through the palace at the stroke of midnight, killing everyone again and again and again. To escape this nightmarish time loop, Anais must figure out who's targeting the royal family with the help of the charming Prince Leo and hope they can survive past midnight. Publication is planned for spring 2023. This sounds great. I love Russian Doll. Yeah, I like a good time loop story. Although, I don't know, maybe maybe they should let the monarchy fall. Who knows? Unless it's like a good monarchy, right? That's why they're trying to save it. 
all monarchies are bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I really like time loop stories. Uh, Like, it's always nice to see, like, creative ways that characters overcome problems and how that causes, like, a ripple effect and how, you know, like, time loop stories are very complicated, but also simple in terms of uh, just, like, pitching. So I'm really, I'm really curious as to, like, how the story will turn out. Yeah. So congratulations to Zeba. All right. Next up, after a 10-house auction, William Morrill won North American rights to Emiko Jean's adult debut, Mika in Real Life, for seven figures. Wow. Congratulations to Emiko. Uh, Jean is the author of the YA novel Tokyo Ever After, which was a Reese Witherspoon's book club YA pick and also a former guest of this podcast. Uh, Mika in Real Life follows a Japanese-American woman who reconnects with the daughter she placed for adoption 17 years ago and suddenly gets a second chance at motherhood, love, and the career she always wanted. The novel also explores larger issues of overcoming personal trauma and the model minority myth. Uh, There is no publication date uh, mentioned, but I'm guessing 2022. Um, or maybe like early 2023. We'll see. Um, I'm sure they'll announce it pretty soon. Yeah. It looks like this book was pretty um, pretty sought after. Um, well, I mean, Emiko is busy with the second book of the Tokyo After After series too, right? Because that's a duology. So I, yeah, I imagine this a, will come in after that, right? Yeah, but she probably finished the sequel to uh, Tokyo Ever After because publishing is weird like that. You finish <laughs> a book and then it's already going through line edits by the time the next book is announced. So, mm. okay. So next book deal, Quill Tree Books bought Clementine and Danny Save the World and Each Other by Livia Blackburn. Pitched as You've Got Mail meets Yes, No, Maybe So, this YA rom-com follows two teens who fall in love while working together to protect their Chinatown community from a gentrification project, only to discover that their respective anonymous internet alter egos have been clashing with each other for years. Publication is scheduled for summer 2023. You've Got Mail, that is a really popular, uh, I guess, trope. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, since the internet has only got more complex and <laughs> maybe maybe shitty. Because, like, I remember when You Got Mail came out and, like, only people who had, like, AOL could relate to email because it wasn't available to everybody. Like, if you watch You've Got Mail, they have those computers where, uh, like, the screen is black and when you're typing, the font is in green. Like, that's how old You've Got Mail is. Um, But You've Got Mail is one of my favorite movies. Um, I think it has, like, despite the whole technology not aging very well, the concept has aged very well. And this idea of, like, enemies to lovers, but not knowing that they're enemies is always interesting. It adds, like, a new dimension to, uh, to, like, the relationship. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited to read this um because yeah the internet is is a dark place and i wonder how how um they've been interacting like which platform are they enemies on instagram i mean i TikTok? hope it's not like one of them is like an alt-right like person you know <laughs> that would suck well i mean it it sounds like they have a good cause i mean a good heart they're trying to protect their community from gentrification it takes a little bit of 
I don't know, sincerity. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's like some sort of like bullshit, like fandom beef, like Star Wars or I don't know. What's a good one? Twilight? What are the kids, uh, or the no, kids no. into these days? I mean, Twilight has come back, by the way. There's something called Twilight Core. Oh, God. And like, it's very funny because I do go on like fashion TikTok and I've been seeing TikTokers dress in uh, Twilight Core fashion. And I'm like, dude, this is just like mid 2000 Old Navy slash retail outfits. This is pretty much what every teenager wore back then. Not because it was in style, but because that was all they could afford. <laughs> so so the styling is very boring, but apparently it's like a thing among amongst the youth these days. I mean, you and I are both old now, so I mean it's fine. I like <laughs> like I, I embrace my oldness. It's okay. <laughs> the kids can do whatever they want. All right, our next deal. Viking has bought world rights to A.Y. Hashitate's middle-grade graphic novel, Selfies by Sumie, a coming-of-age story dealing with immigration, social pressures, and family expectations. The book is centered around 12-year-old Sumie, who becomes insta-famous when an embarrassing video goes viral, and she is forced to reconcile who she is online with who she wants to be in real life. Publication is planned for fall 2023. Man, this sounds like a companion piece to this last the last book that we mentioned because it's all about online personas and real life personas and like how they don't always match up. I mean, I guess that is the coming of age conflict that a lot of the current youth has to have to deal with uh, because that's definitely not something that we, well, I don't know about you because you're, you're somewhat a generation under me in terms of like, I think I'm pretty sure I was out of high school when you got into high school. Yeah. Right. I know like when I was, Growing up, I didn't have to worry about online personas because what is online? The internet wasn't as available, right? Like the only place with like broadband internet was maybe the library. And they only had maybe three to four kiosks available at any given time. So it's interesting to see what um, what kids are dealing with these days. Yeah, I, I, I haven't watched this documentary, but there was a documentary on people who got turned into memes and how their life got affected by their viralness <laughs> and uh, just like how some of them have trouble like finding jobs and how some of them actually have embraced their fame. And it it's like really interesting if they were kids when they're like when they became memes when they were kids and now they're grown up and how that affects like their uh, social life as teenagers. So it it is very interesting. It's a phenomenon that you and I are not, um, not really, can't really relate to. Um, I think like the closest for me was YouTube when YouTube was starting to take off and a lot of people were trying to like be, I guess, like YouTube famous. YouTube famous. I mean, people still try to be YouTube famous, but back then it was like doing funny skits or being like a musician. Uh, the whole point was to like get popular enough on the internet to go do something else that's not on the internet. It was always like a springboard. But nowadays it's like if you get famous on YouTube or Instagram, like that is your full-time job. That is like, you don't, you don't have to pivot. Um, so that's really interesting. Anyway, this yeah. has been your dope old people corner. Uh, <laughs> next up, in a five-house auction, Viking won the rights for Anzu and the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. 
uh, author of Pilu of the Woods. The book is a middle-grade graphic novel about a Japanese-American girl who must journey through the fantastical world of Japanese folklore and reclaim her identity to find her way back home after she falls into the Shinto underworld during the festival during the festival of Oban. Publication of the first book is slated for 2024. Man, oh. more under like more <laughs> Japanese underworld stories i remember our last book deals episode uh there were a couple i feel like this is the first shinto one though i feel like a lot of the ones we've seen have always been like chinese underworld which is like a bureaucracy um I'm, that- or like shinigamis like which is different <laughs> from shinto yeah culture. i mean i feel like um correct me if i'm wrong but shinto spirituality is more focused on like nature right and nature like yeah yeah nature and spirits all right, next up, Scholastic bought world rights to This Is How I Roll by Debbie Michiko Florence. In this contemporary middle-grade novel, 12-year-old Sana dreams of becoming a renowned chef like her father. But when he refuses to teach her without explanation, she decides he's not the only one who can keep secrets and begins cooking up trouble with an off-limits boy. Publication is slated for spring 2023. Interesting. Um, <laughs> interesting because I feel like cooking is something that a dad wouldn't be opposed for his daughter to to learn not to say that cooking is like a gender thing i think everyone should learn how to cook it is a basic survival skill (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know obviously it's a setup for children of immigrants slash parent dynamic and like communication issues which you know is a is a common trope in in these stories i'm just curious about her her swing and like, oh, you don't want to teach me how to cook? Fine, I'm going to date boys. I, it doesn't say dating, though. It, <laughs> it's just like, hey, like, let's let's cook together. <laughs> I feel like nowadays, though, a lot of people can learn how to cook on their own through watching YouTube videos. Yeah. I feel like most people have learned how to cook during this pandemic by, like, watching a lot of cooking YouTube videos. <laughs> you can learn how to cook, but there's something to be said about family recipes and um, the inability of our parents especially as like a second generation like chinese american my mom has taught me her recipes but there are no there are no measurements there are no like oh the typical asian uh (laughs) recipe yeah it's just like oh like a handful of this and it's like but your hand size and my hand size are different or or like the classic like when you're making rice, they're like, why do you need a measuring cup? Just put your finger in and and the water should be at the same level as like the first line of your Not your even finger. the finger, just like just eyeball it. <laughs> I mean, my mom did not teach me how to cook at all. Mm. Um, I did not know how to cook eggs until I got into college because uh, like a fellow <laughs> hallmate was just like, this is pathetic. You need to learn how to cook. And I'm just like, OK, uh, so <laughs> so I can't really relate all that much to like the family recipe. I don't know, tradition of just like passing it down without any measurements. But um, yeah, this sounds like a fun book. I'm yeah curious as to how the the romance it, it sounds like there's a romance i mean um, like you said maybe they're just cooking that's true it could be platonic cooking. cooking but it's like it's a middle grade novel so you know <laughs> maybe there's something simmering yeah. in the back burner yes okay so next up penguin nancy paulson books has bought world rights to nh senzai's picture book debut prince among slaves 
Illustrated by Anna Rich, the picture book is a biography of Prince Abdulrahman Ibrahima, who in 1788 was kidnapped from the kingdom of Futajalan in West Africa, survived the Middle Passage, and was enslaved in Natchez, Mississippi, but through the strength of his faith and the help of the Sultan of Morocco, made the journey home after 40 years. Publication is set for spring 2024. Wow. Wow, this is one hell of a biography. Like, I've never heard of the story. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a picture book, too. So I'm wondering how they're going to fit all of that into, into a picture book, unless it's like, it seems like enough to fill a novel, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it could pro- it'll probably be condensed, and the pictures will probably tell more than the words. Mm. Uh, but yeah, really interesting stories. It, it took place in 1788, so. And yeah, teaching kids about, the effects of slavery on like a more personal note that's that's pretty cool too like you know you, you hope to see this book in like elementary schools everywhere although um, <laughs> i'm just picturing all the parents that are will be up in arms for teaching this to kids we're going to be talking about uh book ratings and censorship later so hold that <laughs> thought <laughs> all right next uh peach tree teen block dance of the starlit sea by debut author kiana crystal a cottagecore paranormal YA in which disgraced ballet dancer Leela Rose Lee is sent away by her parents to Luna Island, where every seven years a girl is sacrificed as a bride to the devil. To protect herself, Leela seeks the guardianship of the angel who keeps appearing in her dreams. But unbeknownst to her is the devil's servant in disguise. Publication is slated for spring 2023. Man, There's that, a lot that of description was a on. lot. <laughs> that was a lot. Like cottagecore paranormal YA, I was picturing, you know, like the the countryside and maybe like some some vampires, like in in like some country plantation estate. But um, you have a ballet dancer who is on an island who is about to be sacrificed. Yeah, that's it's a lot. Um, very interesting. It kind of reminds me of the myth of um, the Korean myth of the Habek, the water god, because there's like a myth about uh, a girl who um, sacrifices herself to the water god to be his bride. And it is a very popular myth that has been adapted into many different types of stories. But yeah, instead of a water god, there's the devil. So I am... You know, I'm more interested in what cottagecore is because this is the first time I've heard um, this term. Okay, so cottagecore is pretty much this aesthetic of um, you know, like living the simple life. It like living the simple life in nature. Uh, you'll see cottagecore aesthetic on Pinterest, and it's like these women in like flowy flowy cotton dresses with like picnic baskets and collecting flowers and eating organic food and and stuff like that. So just kind of picture like Regency era, um, like outdoor aesthetics. And that's pretty much what cottagecore is. Got it. It became really popular during the start of the pandemic because people wanted to go you know, go outside and, you know, live a life where where things aren't complicated with with like the pandemic and yeah. everything in the city being on lockdown. 
Okay, so next up, Athenium acquired Every Night at Midnight by author-illustrator Peter Chung, a picture book about a lone werewolf named Felix who struggles to make friends in his human form. When another wolf shows up in town, Felix learns you must be a friend to make a friend. Publication is set for summer 2023. Oh, poor Felix. Oh, this sounds so cute. <laughs> yeah, like more werewolf stories, yeah. please. We stand a werewolf with uh, social anxiety. That is true, <laughs> yes. Um, also, the idea of like, there shouldn't be just one werewolf, like befriend another werewolf. Um, the whole rule of like, there can only be one, but not really. There's room for for more than one i mean is an allegory for being the only asian in in town who knows but uh, who knows maybe <laughs> <laughs> all right um next up capstone bought world rights to you are life uh, written by balfi author of a different pond and illustrated by hannah lee this ode in picture book form celebrates the wonderful and complex identity of a child of immigrants and refugees encounters the racist rhetoric encounters the racist rhetoric encounters the racist rhetoric they experience Publication is scheduled for fall 2022. Definitely relatable to uh, children of immigrants. Uh, I'm interested in the part where it says counters the racist rhetoric they experience. Um, I feel like as a kid, when when like people say racist things to you, you're not equipped to respond to that. Like, how do you protect yourself, defend yourself? Uh, maybe there will be tips on how to deal with racist people. Yeah, and <laughs> especially, comebacks. you know, there's always been like nationalist rhetoric against immigrants. But for refugees, that's like tenfold, right? Because not only are you a foreigner, but you're also here because of like political reasons. And, you know, with a current looming refugee crisis, right, because of certain actions done by our country, um, this type of story is even more relevant, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so our last book deal is Beaming Books Bought World Rights to Yuna's Cardboard Castles, written by Marie Tang and illustrated by Ting Chen. Yuna moves to a new country where she doesn't speak the language the other kids speak. Making friends is a challenge, but when she musters up the courage to show them the special thing she can do with paper, a whole new world unfolds. Publication is planned for spring 2023. Sounds Making cute. friends through through art. <laughs> yes. Show off your paper mache skills. <laughs> is it paper? I, I, I was imagining. I don't like, know. Like, I mean, I mean, like cardboard paper skills. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I, same I, thing. I, I was imagining origami, like forgetting that the cardboard in the, in the title. But yeah, that sounds cute. And I'm pretty sure I made friends as a kid because we were playing like, I think it started with Pogs and then moved on to Magic Cards. Oh my god, Pogs. <laughs> I didn't really make friends until like late middle school. So everything mm. before that was either because we were in the same class, because I went to Catholic school in early elementary school. <laughs> so you're in the same class with like the same 20 people for like three, four years. Mm. And it's like, well, we don't have a choice. We are the only people that like we know <laughs> in this microcosm of of just life so i mean proximity has always been an effective way to make friends especially friends that aren't you know like you know, when you're an adult you make friends that share the same interests or values as you but when you're kids like it's just because you're in the same place every day yep that's true yeah. um 
in middle school, I made friends because I really liked anime. And <laughs> I used to draw a lot of manga stuff. And people were like, hey, you're cool because you know how to draw. And it's like, cool. I'm, I'm very antisocial. So while I draw, I'm probably not going to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, that's a wrap on book deals. So we're going to move on to book news. Yeah. Congratulations to everyone who got a new deal. We're looking forward to um, learning more about your books as they come out. All right. So this is a uh, hot off the Twitter press. Um, Kathy Park Hong, author of Minor Feelings, was included in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2021. And uh, there was like a feature written by Ali Wong, a comedian who you might recognize from uh, Always Be My Maybe, the Netflix film with Randall Park. Um, but yeah, like this is the first time I've seen like an Asian poet be featured on the 100 most influential people list it's usually like politicians or celebrities so i was like pretty impressed by that but at the same time minor feelings was like an extraordinary book especially during like the the early hate crimes against like asian americans uh during the pandemic so yeah i could see why she was nominated and it's really cool to see her on the cover of time magazine because uh they i think they did like a cover for each person so. oh wow yeah congrats yeah. to kathy that's pretty cool i've been seeing the cover circulate through social media so her book was always top of mind whenever whenever something shitty happened and we were like here read these books to understand the asian experience more it's good to see her get recognition for for writing such a you know important book not only for Asians to read but like the public in general. Yeah, I mean it really sucks when the responsibility of educating others about why your existence matters uh is shouldered upon you. So it's nice to have a book where you could just hand to people being like, "Hey, read this on your spare time because, yeah. you know, I don't have the energy to educate <laughs> you." Um, but if you guys are interested in hearing our thoughts about Minor Feelings, uh, we did do an episode on it. Minor Feelings was a previous book club pick. So check out that episode. Yeah. All right. So Marvin, what's our next piece of news? All right. We have a couple adaptation news. Um, this one from The Hollywood Reporter. HBO Max won the rights to adapt The Best Edit by Malik Pancholi. Um, it's his acclaimed debut middle-grade novel about Rahul Kapoor, a gay Indian-American teenager dealing with seventh-grade crushes and anxiety in small-town Indiana as he and his family seek to become the best versions of themselves. So Malik Pantelay is best known as the assistant to... I think he was Jack Donnie. He's the assistant on 30 Rock. Um, he can currently be seen on the Hulu's Only Murders in the Building and also voice acting in Disney Junior's Mirror Royal Detective. The half-hour comedy will be written alongside uh, Michael Golomko, who is the co-writer of Always Be My Maybe and used to work on Grimm. And it's going to be produced as part of Imminent Collision, which is the production company um, started by Michael Golomko, Hugh Ho, and Randall Park. Um, so a lot of, a lot of Asians say, on the house. <laughs> prominent Asian Americans entertainment um, behind this project. And it sounds cool. I've been digging a lot of these like Asian Americans coming-of-age high school um, shows. Yeah, and it's nice to have uh, more queer representation with South Asians on television and also in books. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting because this is a middle grade novel, but HBO Max is 
adapting it. <laughs> and HBO HBO is not really well known for uh, kid friendly content. So I'm really curious as to like if they're going to age this up or. I mean, HBO has Sesame Street, right? Wasn't it owned by PBS before? It was broadcast at PBS, but oh, okay, but got Sesame, it. Yeah, because um, Sesame Street has been an HBO series for like, the last few years, so. HBO definitely has like a branding challenge when it comes to kids stuff, but it's not like they haven't done kids stuff before. So I, I think I think it makes sense. All right, what's our next story, Rira? Um, so our next piece of book news is from Deadline. Uh, Derek Sang, Oscar-nominated Hong Kong director of Better Days, has signed on to help Netflix series uh, to help Netflix's series adaptation of Liu Shishin's sci-fi trilogy, The Three Body Problem which was a former Books and Boba book club pick. Uh, Game of Thrones alumni David Benioff and D.B. Weiss will serve as showrunners and executive producers under their overall deal with Netflix. Alexander Wu, who co-created the series with the Game of Thrones duo, will serve as executive producer and writer. Good to freaking know that there is an Asian who is going to be a producer and writer on this show because... I have a bone to pick with D&D <laughs> for what they did with Game of Thrones and just like how they wanted to make a series based on the Confederacy as their follow-up show like yeah yeah I have I I feel like I'm putting my trust in Alexander Wu here but <laughs> yeah yeah I feel like Benyev and Weiss have definitely um, worn out their goodwill especially with those last like two seasons of Game of Thrones hearing that they were involved I kind of flinched a little bit because um, the three body problem is such a Chinese movie not just Chinese but like modern Chinese story and the fact that they're not just executive producers the they're showrunners show which means they're they're head writers pretty much yeah like they're running that writing room and I'd be curious to see who else is in that writer's room I'm curious to see what this adaptation is because, like, on two fronts, right? Number one is the three-body problem is not a simple story. It's totally, like, up its own but hard sci-fi that have a lot of, like, concepts that they need to communicate um, that is a challenge for any any filmmaker or director, right? And number two is, it's again, it's such a Chinese story. Like, what are they going to... How are they going to adapt it? Are they going to reset it in... America are they going to Okay, keep but the like Chinese they have they have a Hong Kong director though. They have Derek Sang who is going to be directing the series and you have someone who is Asian. Uh, I don't know if Alexander Wu is uh Chinese as well, but I'm guessing that he is. Mm. Uh you have at least two Chinese people who are in like very big roles for this adaptation, but like I said, having D&D as showrunners, <laughs> showrunners having the most like amount of power when it comes to creating the show. Yeah. I don't know. I have doubts. Hopefully they hire, you know, more Asians onto the project. I think that will be their make or break. Yeah. I feel like that writer's room needs to be, needs to be very like, not even diverse, needs to have a lot of Chinese voices in there. Yeah. It needs to have like a lot of Chinese people <laughs> and not just like Chinese Americans, like Chinese people who understand like Chinese history and like, modern society there it'll be so interesting because um a big part of that story is about the repercussions of the cultural revolution which is a taboo topic in mainland china and it's an interesting time for this project to go into production because of stuff that's happening in china right now but uh that's neither here nor there 
Uh, we'll, we'll we'll learn more about this project as it goes along. But um, yeah, I think I'm cautiously neutral on the whole thing right now. <laughs> I think I think that's a good stance yeah. to be on. Um, when it does come out, I would like to watch it together and see, you know, what our what our thoughts are and, yeah. and compare it. I want to see if this adaptation will make the science make sense to us. That's true because we struggled <laughs> a lot. Like, listen to the episode where we discussed th- the three body problem, and we struggled a lot in in like. Yeah. deciphering a lot of the science and math in there. But anyway, yeah. we're going to move on. Yeah, Rira, tell me about YA ratings. Okay, so this happened yesterday on Twitter. So it, it is pretty, pretty new. So if you've been on book Twitter in the last 24 hours, you'll see a lot of authors and book bloggers tweeting like YA1, like, like, I don't know, like, why YA, YA1, like, you're crying over a book. YA2, you're angry at a character and you throw your book. YA3, you, <laughs> I don't, like, I don't know, you yell at the author on Twitter for killing off your best character, f- favorite character. And then YA4 is just being stuck in a spiral of despair forever. I'm just giving, like, random examples. Um, but there's been a lot of memes that have been... Um, based on this YA book rating system that a group of white women authors created. Um, so this group of white women authors, they had, uh, they, blah, sorry. So a group of white women authors, they created a YA book rating system on yabookratings.com, and they have been soliciting publishing agents and authors to rate books for their quote-unquote cleanliness. Uh, And the system is divided into four categories, like I said, YA1, YA2, YA3, YA4. And um, yeah, like some of the ground, like, I'm just going to go through what the parameters (laughs) of each level is. It is just, it is just, wow. You can see why people parodied this. So YA1 um, includes light kiss or kissing, little to no violence, no drug use, no underage alcohol use, allowed profanity, like damn or hell. I'm sorry, allowed profanity? Like what like what this is language some policing? Real, like pearl clutching shit right here. Okay, and um <laughs> No smoking or vaping, no sexual topics. So that's YA1. YA2, moderate kissing, light travel of hands. Again, what the fuck? Light travel of hands? What does that freaking mean? Okay. Um, justified violence. Another gray area. Like, what is considered justified? Um, no drug use, no underage alcohol use, beyond a sip by the main character. Uh and then with allowed profanities, they extended it to shit, ass, bitch, pretty much like everyday curse words that I use on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Um, and mention of sexual topics. YA3, mild descriptive sex scenes, closed door sex scene, descriptive violence, sexual violence, um, mention of drug use. Um, and then pretty much like all the same things from YA1 and YA2. Uh, YA4, which is the boss stage, uh, descriptive sex open door scene, which I find really funny 
because YA3 allow descriptive violence and sexual violence. So they're pretty much saying that rape is more palatable <laughs> than consensual sex, which is just really wrong to me. Okay, continuing on. Extreme gore, descriptive drug use, excessive alcohol use and partying, uh, more allowed profanity, um, in-depth sexual topics, excessive smoking, whatever. So this is... As you've noticed, there is no mention of racism or um, anti, like anti queer rhetoric, or there's there's just a lot missing from um, their censoring. I guess like censoring boundaries. It's <laughs> I it's mean just... the red flag is right there. They called it cleanliness right they're rating these based on cleanliness which is like some supremacy shit if i've ever seen it i mean yeah like i'm not going to reveal the identities of these women but let me just say that a lot of them write um very mormon themed books <laughs> let's just leave it at that um I just, and yeah it's it's okay so like one of the one of like the things that like make me laugh about this is that they have these stickers for for like their rating system and um and they're selling these stickers to authors and bookstores so that they can put it on their covers so that their customers will know how cleanly their book is and i'm like really you're like asking people to do the work of rating their books based on your ridiculous system and giving them these ugly ass stickers, these these stickers look really like really bad. Like, why would you want them on your cover? So there's four levels. And the first one is like a fluffy cloud with the letter one. And then the second one is a teardrop with the word two. Um YA3 is a cube with the number three on it. And YA4, which is pretty much like symbolizing hell, has um a flame with with I mean, four on it. I don't know about the you. The four elements, you know, like Avatar, <laughs> The Last Airbender. You have air, water, earth, fire. That's pretty much what it looks like. I mean, I don't know about you, but level. like when I was a kid, I, I'm going straight for that fire because that, that looks cool, you know? The thing is, like there's been a lot of talks on like what is considered appropriate for, for kids to read. I know... Um, I think it was it was like yesterday or or like earlier this week, there was a teacher who, you know, has been, you know, recommending uh, diverse books, books that talk about racism and sexism in her third grade class. And she recently got fired because a bunch of parents found out through her social media account that she was recommending these books in class. And they're like, Oh my God, they're indoctrinating these kids. I don't want my kids to learn about like, you know, police violence or Black Lives Matter because that is like subject that they shouldn't be learning about at such a young age. But at the same time, it's like, what, what are you saying to the Black kids who are in that class? Because, you know, that's part of their lives and saying that, you know, this is not, this is considered unclean or inappropriate. You're pretty much invalidating uh, experiences by like marginalized people, so it's just yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that the internet took them the task for it. Um, I want to share one of my favorite like parodies of this. There, there's like hundreds of them on Twitter. Um, just like 
go search for them. But this one is by Rebecca Mix. And for YA1, someone dramatically holds a knife to someone's throat. Main character has a name starting with A. You have definitely already muted the author on Twitter. No one is making stew on a journey. Oh, my God. Author definitely has a secret Wattpad account. YA2, (laughs) there's a cat. Trees. Horsies. Wow, this author must cry a lot. Plot makes no goddamn sense, but we're here for a good time, not a smart time. YA3. There are two cats. Someone could possibly write Shrek fanfiction about this. You can have a little human sacrifice as a treat. There's a mentor character with daddy vibes because, I mean, the reader can emotionally project themselves into them. And then the final thing, uh, YA4, feast scene that the author 100% wrote when they were hungry, boats, minor character (laughs) is just a mouthpiece for what the author learned in therapy. Is this book a cry for help or a sign I need to seek it? So, yeah, a lot of authors went out to town. We need to come up with our BB rating, our books and blower rating, BB1, um, Tiger Mom, Parental (laughs) Expectations. Uh, BB2 would be like, descriptions of delicious food makes me hungry. I don't know. BB3, romance interest is Daniel Henney or Godfrey (laughs) Gao in disguise. (laughs) BB4, the main character got a B. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of fun ones. Uh, Definitely go check them out on Twitter because, you know, I was so angry reading about this BS like, how dare they think that they can do this to young readers? Young re- Let young readers read whatever they want. I mean, if there's one thing these sorts of people love doing is telling young people what they should and shouldn't read. Like, do you know how, if this is catching on with, like, the industry? There, is there any danger of this becoming, like, an actual thing? Or is it just something where we're taking the piss out? It's a conversation that's been happening for years. Because, like I said about that uh, third grade teacher who got fired because of her reading recommendations... Uh, it's been happening in a lot of small communities where a lot of uh, conservative parents, uh, usually white conservative parents, um, have been like very strict on what they want their kids to read. And I think that's like a response to a lot of what is happening with diversity in publishing. So because publishing has been getting a little bit better about including more diverse stories and um representing more than just immigrant pain and black pain and painting these characters of marginalized backgrounds as actual humans with uh, emotions and experiences uh parents are just they just don't want their kids to empathize with these non-white characters <laughs> so they're really coming out with their with their pitchforks to parent teacher meetings and yeah i think it's it's a lot of of it's a lot of a reactionary thing i mean it goes back to the whole backlash against like critical race theory right and teaching that in schools i would say it is it is on that same (laughs) playing field oh well what a time to be a parent (laughs) let me just say (laughs) Oh, oh well Hopefully this will be the last we hear of this rating system and I hope the um, internet backlash will teach them not to try this shit again. Although I'm sure I don't, I don't think I'm sure so. it'll happen again at some point. Well, anyway, this has been our shade corner of <laughs> Books and Boba. And Thank you for joining us. Yeah, that'll also do it for this mid-month check-in for September 2021. 
Um, Rira, remind us what we're reading for our September 2021 book club pick. Okay, so we are reading Chemistry by Wiki Wang. Um, it is a very short novel, so you'll probably be able to read it in one sitting, I would say. Uh, Marvin, have you started? I haven't yet, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've heard great things about it. Um, I'm looking forward to it triggering some deep-seated trauma as a former overachiever. Uh, it's really funny because uh, Publishers Weekly, they have a roundup of book club picks by various book clubs, <laughs> and they they put our book club pick in, in their article, and they said chemistry was the perfect book for Asian burnouts. And I was like, as someone who has read this book in their, in their mid-20s, yes, I, I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> It is, it is that book with a lot of millennial dread, and uh, yeah, it might be triggering for some, so proceed with caution, I guess. <laughs> yeah, if you finish the book, uh, if you finish Chemistry and want to share your thoughts, um, please let us know on our Goodreads forums. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next time on Books and Boba. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 